Hello, sir. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm good. I started doing a weird thing. Yeah, what's that? It might not be that weird, but I feel a little bit weird about mm-hmm. it, which is I started listening to us. Oh, really? Regularly. <laughs> yes. Are you doing a little quality I, I, control or what's the what's the angle? No, it's it's less about that. And it's, it's, I think it's like after a week, I almost can't remember what we talked about. And I'm like kind of addicted to like people building companies podcasts. And there's just not that many of them. Like I can't make Brian and Jordan publish more often despite offering to bribe them. And so it's like, well, I guess I'll listen to me talk about this. I've forgotten so much by the time that I listened to it. It's almost like a new experience. I used to listen to us more back in the days when I was like more apprehensive about my own ability on the mic. And like I would listen back and tear apart every sentence I said and try to figure out how I can do better. It was not good. But at a certain point, I became more consistently. I would come out of an episode recording and feel like, man, I really tanked that one. It was not good. And then I listened back to it and I'm like, oh, that actually sounds fine. So at that point, I kind of stopped stopped listening regularly, but it would be interesting to, to occasionally do that. I kind of like it. I like that I listen to it sometimes. And I'm like, hey, this is a pretty good podcast. I really like the cold open, actually. I just hit play and instantly we're talking. I just, there's something about that I really enjoy. Yeah, I feel like very few people do that. So it's kind of a, a unique trademark for us. Yeah, um, we invented that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's that's fun. Um, I'm also in a weird, I'm in a bit of a weird state of mind right now because I have started a 48-hour fast. Ooh, yeah. So when, how, how many hours in are you? I'm four hours in. Okay. <laughs> now, that shouldn't be that many, but like I am like an eat six or seven times a day person. Like I have a fast metabolism I eat a lot, and I have a large body. I take a lot of food. So I'm used to eating all the time. So I'm already hungry. <laughs> You're looking a little, a little white right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I gotta adjust my studio lighting, I guess. What's the motivation behind doing this? There are a number of purported health benefits to fasting. This is one of those things where there's not a ton of amazing scientific data that is not like mouse-based or rat-based studies. So who knows if this is really good for you, but it seems like the data shows it probably is. There's something good about fasting, like where it causes positive things for your body. One of the things that it, t- that it does is this thing called autophagy. It looks like autophagy if you write it out. So so it's like self-eating, basically. So when your body doesn't have enough calories, uh, one of the things it does is it actually will go through and kill off and, and eat and consume uh, older cells or cells that are sort of exhibiting problems. There's some indication that this has the potential of killing off precancerous cells. So cells that might turn into cancer because they're, they're sort of like cancer comes from a cell that is broken, like has like DNA damage and doesn't know how to stop dividing. And so there's a cell can sort of exist in this pre-cancer state where it's not doing that yet, but it might because it's kind of broken. And so there's some indication that autophagy can occur when you fast long enough and you might have be able to sort of clean out those cells and prevent them from developing. So you're just kicking off the garbage collector, basically. That's kind of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so it's it's kind of like a cleanse, but actually it kind of actually works. Like cleanses are garbage, like bullshit, totally, totally nonsense. But this actually appears to be uh, something that's good. I'm pretty healthy, and so like I'm probably not gonna get heart disease because I get enough exercise. But cancer is always just like one of those things that can just randomly just show up and just kill you. And so I don't want to get cancer, and so I'm gonna try to not get cancer. Because I know some people do like intermittent fasting, right? And I guess that's a more frequent cadence and shorter periods. And so why why this longer 48 hours as opposed to like a, a shorter stint? So you trigger a little bit of autophagy after like a 16 hour fast, which is pretty common for intermittent fasting, but it doesn't really ramp up until later on. So like I think you hit max autophagy actually like 72 hours. 
So to really get it going, you need to do it for longer. 48 is more than than 16. Uh, you get more of it. So I've done 24 hours. And so this kind of felt like level two. Like I'll, I'll try the two days and see how that goes. So part of it is autophagy, but part of it is literally just like, what is it like to not eat for two days? Like, how, what does that feel like? Like, I'm just kind of curious. I just want to know how much it sucks. Yeah, I would be not. very hangry. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a little rough. It's going to be rough. Like, it's fasting makes you realize how habitually you eat where it's like i had to put like a a twist tie on my snack cabinet to remind me like don't just grab something because i like right before this i was like oh i'm a little bit hungry like i'm a what can i grab like grab some nuts or grab some whatever i was like nope and so it's and it's just like so many social things and whatnot it's just like this is it's all about putting calories in our body so i'm interested to see what the arc of your like energy levels looks like after this because i know for me like i will be especially hungry if i've had a, a very like mentally taxing morning i'll notice like i'm ravenous by like 11 a.m um, and then other mornings where it's like been kind of more or less you know less productive or more menial work it's like i'm i don't seem to be that hungry so there seems to be like a correlation for me in like how hungry i am and the amount of like mental output and so i'm wondering like yeah i mean th- your brain is an incredibly expensive organ to run yeah right so if you're running it fast like that just eats up tons of tons of fuel i don't know the science that well on this but there is this process called ketosis where you move from generally your body would rather burn glucose for fuel which you get from food uh, but if you stop eating for long enough uh, or eat a certain diet your body will switch to ketosis where it burns fat for f- for fuel uh, and that's, um, it's like, it's a backup system where it doesn't really want to do it. It would rather not. Cause it's kind of more hard or something. Um, and so I think like people have pretty commonly reported, like they're really hungry for a while and then they kind of, uh, it, it fades after a day or two uh, and they feel a little bit less hungry. And they also feel more mentally alert where at first your body is like, you don't have enough fuel to run the brain cause you're used to processing glucose and none's coming in, but then your body starts to kick off ketosis and suddenly you have, you know, fuel now to run the brain again. And also, like, you as an evolutionary adaptation, if you start to get hungry, if, you're, if you start to starve, your body actually kicks into high gear. Like, it's like, all right, there's no food. We got to figure this out or we're going to die. This is a priority one problem. Like, let's go. People actually report, like, better mental clarity and acuity, like, while fasting because yeah. of that. Interesting. Yeah, I, I I imagine there's a phase after like my 11 a.m. like starving where like if I just push beyond that, there's probably a whole there's a whole bunch of like experience that I've never actually had because I always just eat, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I did experience that where I was very hungry and then it would go away and it would kind of come back and the fantasies would start. Yep. <laughs> the food fantasy. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens post 24 like i don't know like what happens on that like second night of sleep what's that like and then i wake up in the morning and again it's like it's just i'm just curious i think it's gonna be interesting yeah well definitely report back i will and this time i so last time i did this i i tried to do 48 hours but i failed at 24 because i was like well i got really hungry and i started fantasizing about pizza and then i no one was doing it with me and so there's no one to keep me honest and i was just like well 24 is longer than i've ever gone before whatever call to win and i went and got some pizza um, but this time I've, uh, tweeted about it and like, we have a discord running and there's some people in it and some friends have joined me. So it's like, okay, now this, it'd be a lot harder to quit now. Yeah. A little, little accountability. That's always good. Never hurts. Yeah. And you stated it here. So you definitely can't, can't fall off the wagon now. <laughs> yeah. It would be harder for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm up to. Um, tuple stuff's going well. We are, the big thing we're working on right now is actually multi-way calls. So we are going to release like a version one of that soonish. It's looking, 
Spencer has been cranking on that. This is like our most requested feature by far, uh, which is nice. And we're doing a simple version for the first pass. Like this is just going to be like, you can add a third person and they can watch and that's it. Uh, it's not like full control for everyone or like like swapping who's in control or whatever. It's just like kind of like a very basic, like you're pairing on something, you want to call in a designer to have them take a look at it or like a product manager or get someone to offer an opinion or whatever. And they can kind of pop in, see what you're doing, talk to you and then leave. And that's kind of it for now for, for version one. Yeah. Nice. That'll be good to have. And then you can squeeze a little juice out of that and email everybody who's using the product and you know, hundred percent engage and all that. So that's good. Yeah. And we've, I've been surveying people that asked for this feature um, and this has been like a meta habit that I, I think is actually serving us very well, which is like, I keep trying to put these little trip wires or like around the product and the world to like have people give us feedback. So I wrote like a little roadmap doc. It was like, here's the things we want to ship in the next couple months. And one of them is multi-way. And so I added a little thing that was, that was like, hey, by the way, if you're interested in this, could you fill out the survey and tell us what you're thinking? And so like every day or so we get like another thing from those, from that survey. It's like, oh, there's another person weighing in. And it's just like a chance for people to kind of give us feedback and make sure we're building the right things. And then there's like, there's, there's a place in the product to give us feedback. There's a support address. There's a Slack channel. There's Twitter. It's just like, I'm trying to like have all these like places where people can kind of talk to us. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Optimize for getting data flowing in, you know, at a manageable totally. rate. And it sounds like it's still manageable and not like a barrage. <laughs> it's not quite a barrage yet. Yeah. Um, but it's nice. Like I, my inbox is like, um, people filling out our customer development survey as mm-hmm. they join the mailing list or people filling out that multi-way call survey or support request or whatever. And it's just nice. I feel like I have like this sort of steady drumbeat of like mm-hmm. feedback and customer words coming into my life. And I kind of and can like let it pass through me. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. good. That's what you need in the product role. Yeah, I think so. that seems important. Mm-hmm. It's like people would just sort of tell you how to build the product, which is kind of great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you need some taste. And it turns out like people say multi-way calls and like there's a lot of UX decisions that come out of that. Yeah. But yeah the basic idea of like should we do this or should we do this is like it's been really helpful to have people telling us things yeah and it's beautiful when these kind of patterns emerge i remember this from from drip early days where like it just kind of became clear like this is obviously the next important thing on the roadmap because enough people independently request it in some fashion or another or they allude to the underlying problem that would be solved by this feature and anytime those fall out it's always like a a a great gift because a lot of times there's you can go through a phase where there's not a whole lot of clarity and you're kind of like, I guess I'm going to make some hypotheses now because you're operating on imperfect information. But when these patterns emerge, it's it's awesome. Yeah, we're totally in that phase. It's almost a gift to be missing clear features because everyone just says, make this thing. And it's like, okay, we'll make the thing. Um, so that there's like basically like three or four things that just cover 90% of requests, which is like awesome. So pretty pumped about to get those things shipped. Yeah, totally. And one of them is like just more performance, which I'm excited to like really kind of go nuts on. We have some fun ideas for that that I think are going to make a big difference. Nice, nice. Nothing like major is getting done exactly this week, but it feels like another like sort of fairly solid like week in the books of like the product's a bit better, the, the company's a bit better. We hired a, a bookkeeping service, that kind of thing. So like just all the little, all the little processes are kind of moving along. Nice. Now, I think we talked offline about you potentially setting a launch date. Is that public information yet, or are you ready to state um, it? So, no. I'm not even sure we're going to set a public launch date yet. I actually had a call with Adam uh, this morning talking about potential strategies of, like, on the one end is, like, fully self-service, totally launched, everyone can use it. Uh, and the other end is, like, you know, keeping more, like, what we're doing where there's some sort of, like, throttling and, and manual intervention and decision-making and whatnot. 
And we came up with some, some things that I think are kind of interesting in middle grounds. There is a lot of value actually into having, <laughs> and you sort of may have built a company around this, uh, to capturing people's email addresses when they're on your website. If I have a buy button on the website, 1% of people will buy and the 99% I'll never, might never see again. Uh, but if I have a, you know, like sign up for the invite list thing, um, maybe 10% or 15% of people will drop an email in there. And then still we'll get that 1% buying, but maybe it'll be 2% because I can send these people good things over time and they don't have to buy. But maybe once a month, I'm like, hey, here's a cool pair programming article. Or, you know, just like I can just, just having the, building an email list is a good idea, he said, surprising no one. Um, so I'm a little bit reluctant to give up that, like, people sort of joining our circle and being able to stay in touch with them to some degree. Right. Because uh, are you feeling like if you have just a buy button and there's not necessarily, there's not a, like a free incentive built into that specific action for them to give you their email address and then make a buying decision. So you're, you're wanting to basically keep the, keep a front up where you have to provide an email address. Then you can maybe be given the option to buy. So there's a few motivations. One is like email addresses are useful. So if I can, get them that'd be good two is it adds a little bit of exclusivity to it i don't know if that's actually really worth that much but like maybe this idea of like you don't quite get it right away helps a little bit in perception i'm not sure that might just be all nonsense also because of the way we are doing the product where it's like there's not a free trial and there's like an upfront cost and whatnot i think i'm gonna have to sell people a little bit more than if there were they could just like get going and so being able to like maybe send them an email or two of like, here's a here's some stuff that you might want to know about and think about and whatnot. And then that, that landing page doesn't have to do the full sales job all at once. That seems useful too. Yep. Yep. I think that's good to, to definitely like optimize for trying to get as many email addresses from drive-by visitors as you can, whether it's through kind of the, the drip approach in the early days was kind of the, the toaster widget, which is, you know, I don't know, kind of gone up and down in fad and, and effectiveness, I feel like. Still still an effective strategy for sure to, to have some kind of like free incentive or something like that to, to capture email addresses. But it's also very potent if you just, you have to give an email address to even make it to the next step of potentially getting access to the product, you know? That's right. It's clear to me actually from people's survey responses that we sent, that, of the survey we sent out to mailing list subscribers that some of them are not interested in purchasing anytime soon, but they do actually want to like stay in touch. They want to hear about when it launches. They want to hear about progress. So just having a buy button or go away means we would lose those people most likely. Right, right. So no no final decisions there, but that's that's something I'm I'm thinking about. The idea of like a, a launch date appeals. I don't know. I think we'll do that. I don't know. It's nice to draw a line and be like, okay, it forces us to sort of figure out scope and decide what's going to ship before then and after. And like I just I like I like that slight pressure of the launch date. And having like a sort of a splashy launch could lead to like a really good sales day kind of thing. But I mean we don't necessarily need those things, and so I'm trying to think about what the what the trade-off is. Uh, what do we have if we keep it less easy access? Especially while you still have a list of of people in, in the pipeline. I mean, you make it to the point where that list has dwindled a bit and maybe it's not you're not a full replacement rate. So then it's like, well, what's the next move to make? It's maybe a marketable event to get a big splash or something. But yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bit I've come a little bit scared of that next phase where it's like, okay, we've run through the whole list. Now I have to do marketing for real or something. Because like everyone that finds us finds us through like Twitter or a podcast. And so it's like, can I keep those channels working reliably? I don't know. That uh, doesn't feel like a channel, really. So it's like, do I have to go try like ads or something or 
conferences or I, don't know. I feel like that by the time you get to the point where your list is exhausted you will you will hopefully have like a good sense of where's the word of mouth coming from are you getting referrals does a an affiliate program make sense are people is this the kind of product that that works well for that kind of model or is it paid acquisition it was interesting i was listening to to justin jackson talk to adam on full stack radio you know he's kind of talking about his his two phases for Transistor, like starting out obviously with his personal audience and getting as much exposure and splash from that. And then, you know, things just kind of start like word of mouth engine sort of begins to to crank up and then that leads to other opportunities and they ultimately end up going, you know, heavy down the affiliate route because so many people are just kind of referring platforms to their friends and stuff like that. But you'll get more information about that once you get deeper into having more people exposed to the product. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping it just, that word of mouth just kicks in and people <laughs> share it and yeah. like we just get like 40 or 50 new trials a month and I don't have to do anything <laughs> fancy. And right. I can just keep tweeting about stuff and podcasting and being a guest and whatever. But it might not work that way. It makes me a little bit nervous, but also like it's just another problem to go solve and I'll talk to people that are good at it and get some ideas and test some things and figure it out like every other thing that we've had to figure out. So it doesn't have to be a big scary thing. I think I'm just I'm playing it up in my head a little bit right now. We'll figure it out, probably. Yep. Well, <laughs> that's the art of building a product. <laughs> sure is. It's part of it. One of the many arts that you need to actually make a company. Totally. Yep. And not just a product. Yeah, exactly. It yep. should be the, the art of companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We should rebrand this podcast. <laughs> the yep. art of companies. Mm-hmm. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So what's up with you? Yeah. So so I did a launch. Hey. Hey. Tell me about it. Yeah. So um, all the details, please. So I did, yeah, a batch of 500 people, as I'd mentioned before. I basically sent an email on, let's see, it was on Thursday, Thursday before Easter weekend. So holiday weekend for a lot of people, right? And I also talked about this a little bit on the last podcast that like I gave myself about a week to get my tasks done. And then I was like, well, actually, I need to be like getting on this early in the week, lest I invite people to try out a new product on like Friday, which would not be good. So I decided to send basically a warm up email on Thursday, letting people know that like, here's a reminder of what level is in case you've forgotten. And here's why you should care about it. And here's some high level points about what the product does, like some some key, you know, features of it and a little screenshot of what it looks like, uh, just to whet people's appetite a little bit and then let them know that their access is coming on Monday. And so to look out for more details. And so did that. And then on Monday sent sent the invite email. How did you pick the 500? I skewed it towards a more recent group of people who got on the list. Uh, and I kind of debated this, like, is is this unfair to like skew towards this group of people? But I don't feel like there's a right or wrong way to do this. And for me, like, I really wanted to optimize for a group of people that had hopefully not forgotten totally about what level was. <laughs> so just like so can kind of get some early data that is not also skewed by the fact that like they've just been on the list for a while and maybe, you know forgotten a bit about why they joined the list we'll see moving forward if i end up flipping back to hitting older parts of the list or if i just keep going down in reverse order or, or what i do but for this one i wanted to start out that way yeah i sent out the email on monday and got a pretty decent open rate on that i think somewhere around 70 percent so of those i kind of have a i have a mini funnel with some metrics so so of the 500 182 people created their user account and it's sort of a, a two-step process when you create a level account today. First step is uh, putting your email address, your name and your username and a password. And that creates your user account. And that's always free to have. You can sort similar to like having a GitHub account or something. You can just 
have a level user account. And then from there, it automatically drops you into a demo account with some scaffolded data so you can poke around, see what the product's all about, get a feel for how posts and replies look and what the notification settings look like and, and so on. And I have a few guiding intro posts in there. So the first thing you see is like a welcome to your demo team. Have a look around. Here's some things you should look for. When you're ready, click this link to create your own team. It's an interesting onboarding approach. Yeah. What do you, what do you think That's about that? Cool. <laughs> uh, it sounds good. Yeah. I, like I hate those tooltip things. Mm-hmm. They're terrible. Yeah. But I feel like looking at an example is like a really good learning technique anyway, like teaching technique. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like people are like in, in all the sessions I've observed in full story, people click around a bunch. Like the, the first thing they do is just start clicking everything in the sidebar, clicking around. We're all smart functioning adults. Like we can, we can get a sense for what things are and things are called channels and there's, there's people and there's channels and there's an inbox. Like these are all constructs that are relatively simple to, to understand. So I did notice actually too that I, when you create your team, there is like a welcome to level kind of just scroll through five screens of little blurbs of information just to kind of give you a high level overview. And most people breeze through that really quickly. Like I think not, not too many people are actually reading that, which is fine. You know, yep. they're like, nope, 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 nope. Yep. Next. Got to got to got to got to got to I can figure it out myself. So yeah, exactly. um, that's fascinating. I mean, not, yeah, sounds right. Not surprising to me, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so oh my carefully crafted words mm-hmm. i tried to pack don't as, read i tried to pack as much like value into the headlines so it's like big bold text on each one and then like a sentence under it and so even if i can get like fragments of the headlines into their brain that's good <laughs> yeah i'm wondering if like as they click around do you think they're getting a sense for like how level is different i think so because it's staring you right in the face that like every conversation is threaded for example and then the fact that there's an inbox versus a feed of everything, you know, I think if people read my little blurb of text in the intro post, they'll kind of get that nuance. If not, maybe they'll kind of absorb it just naturally like, oh, there are fewer things in this queue than, than there are in this feed. Like, I wonder why that is. And then they can kind of dig deeper if they if they don't automatically figure it out. And then, yeah, I have like mocked in emoji reactions and things so people can kind of still see that you can still have fun in level. I mean, almost everyone clicks into the settings area, which is like, here's your batch notifications, choose your times of day. So I feel like in general, people are probably getting a pretty good sense. So of the 182 that created user accounts, interestingly, 41 created a team. So first qualitative observation is like that feels like a pretty steep drop off. And I earmarked this for conversation after this rundown, but the creating your own team does not have a credit card form on it. So literally all you have to do is enter the name uh, of the team and, and say, go now the copy on there does say like you are starting your 30 day trial level cost $8 per user per month. So like, I think that's probably the reason why some people are not making it to that step is because they're like, Oh, do I want to kick off my trial right now or not? Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, totally. That could definitely impact that. Yeah. Yeah. And then last bit of the one, people who created a team so far, 11 have at least one other member in them. So, you know, not just the person creating it, but inviting at least one other person who then created a user account and joined them. So those are the numbers. I feel pretty good. Like I wasn't exactly sure what to expect, but I'm, I'm pleased that there were so many that like 36% creating user accounts to me is feels good. And then from there, it's just an opportunity to engage with people and further nudge them down the funnel or figure out why they're not moving down. So 
that's like two percent basically 2.2 percent have like activated like that 11 out of 500 from my invites to tuple like we're at like about that number maybe and like we are asking people to pay so it's um definitely forces that number lower by a lot i imagine yeah i, I see what you mean about the drop-offs but maybe that's like kind of okay like that might be like a reasonable conversion rate of coldish mailing list subscriber to activated in the product. How did you feel about those numbers? Um, I felt better about the the further up in the funnel numbers. More <laughs> the further down in the funnel, it's like oh, this feels small. You know, I'm, I'm watching the kind of my dashboards, and I'm like, come on, people. Okay, you created your own team. Now invite your people. Invite your people. So. I, and I've done a little bit of manual outreach. And so one of my one of my takeaways from this is just to keep doing more like emailing specific people off the one on one, not not a not a like, you know, drip email, but like from my inbox to theirs, like, hey, I noticed this, you know, why have you moved in this next step or what's blocking you or can I help you in any way? I have like a little bit of that happening automated already. Like I've played around with some drip triggers and stuff, but um, but I think I even more like one on one communication more likely to get responded to um so far in my experience so oh totally yeah yeah people can tell that you actually typed it and mm -hmm. sent it versus an automated template yeah. for yeah. sure yep these are people yeah yep so so yeah i think i i think i feel pretty good like it, it's been it's been a week of ups and downs you know the day of it's like all these people rushing in cre creating trials like it felt good and then to watch usage start to taper off a, a bit and like a good chunk of people not coming back in subsequent days like okay okay what's happening here so just trying to manage my own my own psychology around this of like this is you know this is a big ask like there are high switching costs of this so there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of touch points to get people from looking at the product or or like agreeing with the vision to actually implementing it on their team and a big part of my job right now is to figure out optimize each phase of that and getting people getting people equipped with what they need to make it through that funnel effectively. Um, and so if I if I put that hat on and I look at this as this is a data gathering experiment, you know, an exercise in in figuring out how to optimize this, then I, I feel more positive about it. So mm -hmm. hmm. the thing one thing that's popping into my head is like Sebastian talking to us like a month or two ago, being like, what if this were like a ten thousand dollar a month thing that started with a consulting engagement kind of deal with like Derek training your team on this new uh, communication style and like it feels like so like you you are asking people to do a, to do a lot and you have a big like it's a, it's a big request um, and so self-serve might be more challenging than usual since it's not like a bug tracker that maybe people can switch to or not right kind of thing. yeah for sure yeah and i'm kind of at a fork in the road i mean i can always i can always pivot over into like the higher touch consultative model but like if i'm optimizing for the route where like someday Signups will be opened up. People can come to the website, sign up for a demo, sign up for a trial, try it out, bring their team in, ultimately switch over. Like if I'm trying to make that all function well, then like getting getting all this nailed down feels really important to me right now. It would look completely different if I was like, like strategically, if I was saying like, I'm only letting in people who feel the pain bad enough to pay me a bucket of money up front and, and believe that I can solve the problem for them. And so I'll, I'll do a bunch of high touch stuff. Um, but those two, I think, just are, are very different implementation-wise in my head. Right. And you want to do the hands-off thing. I mean, that's that's ultimately the kind of company that I want to want to build. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been getting feedback from people, like the big drop for like the user to not creating a team? Like, have you heard from people, specific, like reasons that make sense to you? 
that sound plausible? Um, yeah. So I've gotten I've gotten back a handful of like, oh, I'm just a developer on the team. Really love the product. We're not in a position to adopt it, which is totally expected. I have a sense for based on like clear bit analysis of my list, like between 10 and 20% are probably like decision makers and the rest are maybe just developers on a team or, or people who are otherwise interested, but not, not necessarily the one to make the buying decision at this moment. Um, and so those were not surprising. I got the other theme that kind of emerged, which kind of exposes a choke point that I need to figure out how to smooth out is that people are wanting to know like, okay, so I like this. But I have maybe I have a bunch of integrations currently wired up or maybe like I'm worried about how long it's going to take for people to just get their logins like set up for this new tool. And like, what does that migration process look like? And how do I how do I help people change their habits? Like, I think people just have a lot of these questions floating around in their head, then thus the high switching costs. Right. And so I don't really have today like great guidance on that. And so I've already been articulating on a one-on-one basis to, to people like, well, here are some approaches you can take if you're, if you're skeptical about going like all in. Cause I think the, the fear is like, I had one person in particular tell me like, I re- we're really interested in trialing this, but I'm interested to hear like, how can I do this without basically telling people they're not allowed to use Slack? And it's basically, I mean, it's a, it's a little mini sales job they have to do within their organization. It's a vision casting exercise and it's a, what are we as a company? What do we believe in? What are we all about? Do we value this? You know, and there's certainly going to be detractors and people who are, who don't get it or don't feel the pain. And so probably the most important thing for me to be doing right now is to figure out how to help people in that regard um, as much as I can. That makes sense to me. And I think that's kind of a meta take on this. I think it would be really hard to iterate your way towards an automated version of this if you don't have a reliable high touch version first if you can't get teams to convert if they're all you're thinking about and you're like doing free work on their behalf then automated probably will never work but if you figure out the docs they need and the sales pitch they need and whatever uh, by by working with them a lot very closely then you can turn that into automated stuff i think yep yep for sure. I think, yeah, like the, the likelihood that I'll just nail it without, without iterating in a high touch way is, is just the the odds of that are very slim. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the next thing I'm going to be kind of fleshing out is some, some docs, like a a guide for, and this is almost something I want to add to the, to the signup flow is to figure out which, which role are you in? Are you a person on a team interested in like trying this out and not necessarily the decision maker or are you the decision maker because i think there's there's kind of two different types of literature that you need like if you're just a developer on a team it's like how do i go about introducing this to my colleagues and then what how should i pitch this to my boss you know totally do it i need need this too actually yeah so i have a lot like almost everyone on my mailing list is a um developer Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like the engineering manager of some kind Mm -hmm. but it's very often like a frontline developer yeah and then like they're like, cool, we're interested. Like, how much does it cost? And I tell them, and they're like, cool, let me go check and see if I can like do this. And I was like, whoop, that's probably dead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that'll probably never close now. Yeah. I desperately need like a send this around. This is the thing that you show your boss kind of thing. Like that, that I I need that asset real badly. Yep. Yep. Cause it's a totally different sales pitch, right? Like developer cares about latency and command tab support 
and you know crap like that but like bosses like wants to hear about collaboration and more pairing and fewer defects and happier remote team members and like just a whole different thing and if i don't arm somebody with that they don't they can't make the pitch very well and so they're probably going to fail yeah you're basically filling we, we need to fill in the gaps uh, of the sales pitch like the developer can preach all day long about all the stuff you just mentioned the keyboard shortcuts and the all the techie things but like they're gonna their blind spot's gonna be the business case and on their flip side like the maybe the the manager the higher up in the org you are you're gonna be thinking about business case but you're not the developer's gonna be like i, I why should i care about this but if if they have the information that's like, look at all these cool shortcuts and look at all this, all these developer features built in. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So like that demo video I recorded, people really like that. Like the developers really like that, but it's all product features. You know, it's like, here's why the product is good and for developers, but that's not going to resonate nearly as well with someone who's like, man, we have so many bugs and I, I'm wasting, I'm burning so much time on fixing bugs. And should I like hire a QA team and all that stuff? And it's like, tell this person like, yo, this leads to more pairing, which tends to lead to more, but like fewer bugs. Like, oh, that suddenly resonates in a way that latency never will. Yeah, your, your CTO, VP of engineering video should be, you know, it's all about the kind of the <laughs> why yeah, pairing totally. is important basically, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah I need this, I need this, this so badly actually. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, that's becoming increasingly clear to me. I'm still in the sales like pipeline with people basically. And I can just tell like when someone comes in and they're already like a, in the, a management person, it tends to work. It tend, they tend to like say, okay, yeah, we're going to try it. Here we go. Let's pay. But like when it starts as a developer, I'm actually pretty bad at like closing those. And I, and I think I know why, or at least this would definitely help. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think so. Those are sort of my two priorities right now coming out of this is like working on some of this, an early version of this documentation for kind of both parties and, and just more manual outreach to figure out, well, what are the choke points? What are the blockers for people? And at this point, just trying to get information. It's so hard to get people to, to engage, you know, which is frustrating in this role, but I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of it too. I get, you know, emails from product people and I will admit I'm not always great at, at, uh, replying to them, but it's what we need. So they might reply more if you charged them. Right. Yeah. Okay. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on this before we dive into the the uh, no, credit card? I'm ready. All right. Okay. So, I came prepared because I knew that uh, Ben Pricing Orenstein would uh, <laughs> would have some probably some strong opinions on this. So, I wanted to make sure my logic was sound. And who knows? Maybe it's not. But we'll see. First observation is something I already mentioned that like. 10 to 20% of people are the decision makers, um, probably on my list. And the rest are people who you might consider more in like the kind of the grassroots adoption level of like, you know, not necessarily the person who has the, the credit card to throw down, but very interested in the premise. And arguably, these are the people who need the product the most, the makers. There is a, obviously a business case to make like for the, you know, for manage a management tier, it's like your makers should not be disrupted all day long. Like there's, there's a business case for that, but I would still argue that the makers feel the pain the most when managers are happily interrupting each other all day long because they don't care. Their days are chopped up. Meanwhile, the makers are suffering, right? So it's like, they're going to, they're going to be the ones that feel it the most. Okay. So first question that leads me to ask is like, do I care about excluding that group of people from getting their hands on the product? Because I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to envision like how many random you know developer on a team will hit my 
hit the trial sign up page and be willing to throw down their personal credit card or try to like ask their boss for the company card to do this trial credit card upfront trial. My my gut's telling me very few are willing to do that. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably true. Okay. And so then so then my next question is like, do I believe that level's gonna going to actually gain traction from the grassroots level or from a more top-down approach? Like, is it gonna be the management tier saying, like, we need this, we have the credit card in our hand, I'm willing to throw it down and do a trial with my team? Or is it gonna come from, you know, potentially some developers saying like, hey, I'm trying out this new tool. Hey, guy next to me, like, look at this. Oh, that looks really cool. And if they're armed with their their information and their brochure or whatever, like whatever collateral they need to potentially pitch this to their boss, like, is that the mechanism by which level will start to take hold? I know what my gut's telling me is that grassroots will be important. And I think indications suggest that like that's how Slack gained a lot of traction in the early days was not from not from necessarily a manager saying like we need this on our team but from developers just like using it to me putting a credit card form on the trial sign up is is restrictive and is kind of counter to the letting the the grassroots folks get their hands on a trial of the product and inviting their teammates in thoughts (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a reasonably sound argument. It doesn't feel clearly wrong to me. There are lots of apps that do free trials and plenty with no credit card because they want to encourage people to experience the product and have a good experience and then worry about paying for it later. So I don't know that I disagree with that, but I, I will just throw out some of the thoughts I had while I was listening to it. So one is that you have this drop off from like creating user account to creating a team. So at the end of the day, you start with 500 and then 40, 41 people created a team. It could be that if you required even not even even a free trial, but with a credit card up front, it could be that you would still end up with like 40 teams kind of thing where like you would you would you would lose all those 140 people that like made an account and clicked around for three minutes and then left. None of those people would be still there or would be in that cohort, perhaps. But you might still end up with, you know, a couple dozen teams, possibly that are maybe now a little a little bit more likely to keep going. And like get to the like, okay, well, we're going to get charged for this. And so we're kind of we're like, we've, we're over the bar a little bit. So maybe we'll invite the, te- the other team members and blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I, I don't feel super strongly that this is like a clearly better approach. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's been, it's been hammered into me so much that like credit card up front or even better money up front is the way to go. It's been a difficult exercise for me to actually feel confident in saying like, I don't think that's the right move. Like, and my gut has told me that for a while, but I'm like, is this just me leaning towards too far in the direction of like fear around putting a a credit card form blocker? But I don't think it's fear driven. I mean, I think I have, I think the logic makes sense to me that like at the phase I'm in, I'm actively searching for, you know, who are the people that this resonates with the most? Because there's a lot of people, obviously, because of the handle reservations who are intrigued by the premise. They've read the manifesto. They agree with some or all of the parts of it. But who out of that group is actually going to be willing to switch over? I can't say for sure I know what that persona is going to look like. Like I also look at it from the angle of what is it costing me to have more people getting their hands on the product? And to me like the big the the potential costs that stand out are 
load on the servers. Like I could run into a scaling challenge early on that's negligible at this point. Um, or like support load, maybe a bunch of people asking questions when they never intend to pay. So far, that's been very negligible too. But the benefits are increased exposure, more opportunities for data, more people getting further along in the cycle. So like if if a handful of developers who are on a team who are in no position to make a decision are playing around with the product and I have a chance to talk to them and educate them on how to pitch it to their boss, like I would much rather do that than then them have gotten stopped at the signup form because it required a credit card. I just feel like this is kicking the serendipity engine in in a little bit where like you just by getting more exposure and more hands on the product, like maybe it's not right for, for these people, but then they'll tell someone else about it who is a decision maker and then they'll get interested by it or someone will look over their shoulder when they're, you know, sitting in their co-working space or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. You have to get them to pay at some point. This is maybe like, okay, for sort of now and it's like, try it out and see what happens and get some good feedback and maybe tighten up your funnel a lot or learn some really useful things. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to get the, the payment. And so the biggest weakness of this p- approach is that it doesn't really answer the question, like, will people pay for this yet? It pushes that data further out. Right. And so that's actually the last bullet I had written down is like, I make it clear that level will cost money. And so if you, if you do sign up for a trial, invite people in, and you actually start using it in that 30 day span, like, I feel like there's a pretty good chance you're gonna, you're not going to bail on it. If since when you signed up, it's like, no, this will cost money. This is not a free thing. And if you're continuing to use it, then like, I feel like you're likely to pay. That's one thing. But also like, is it a top concern of mine to validate that people are willing to pay for the communication tool that drives all their internal communication? Like, I feel like in the grand scheme, that is pretty well validated by a very large market. Maybe more than other tools are like, I don't know, I'm building some esoteric take on project management. Will people pay for this angle that I'm taking? And maybe that's more uncertain. I don't know. I feel like this is fairly well validated that if people choose to adopt this as their tool that drives their internal communication, that I don't think there's necessarily concern that they won't pay. But given that you're not asking them to pay yet, I think what you really want to see is like a lot of engagement. Yeah. Like are the 11 people that ended up inviting other team members, are they still using it? There's moderate usage, but no one has like fully onboarded, I would say. No. Yeah. Because I feel like you can like freemium grassroots kind of build up a, wow, this is so good. We're all using this. We're spending some social capital. Like we're going to eventually pay for this for sure. That is a valid angle on this thing. Um, But only if like when people start trying it, they're like, oh my God, yeah, this is it. We got to use this. Yeah. Right. But I I think it's good information for me to know that like if 11 make it in unencumbered, like have at it, (laughs) go ahead and start using this with your team. I haven't required you to put a credit card on. Like there's very low barriers to getting in and trying this out. And if even under those circumstances, it's not biting Then I need to figure that out. You know, that's something that's, that needs to be fixed, but I don't know if restricting the amount of data I have to maybe like, maybe it would be two people that make it to that stage. If I had a credit card up front, now I only have data from two. (laughs) And is that data better than the data from the 11? Like, I don't know. I feel like regardless of whether you put your card on file, you know, if you're in the app and you've invited at least one person and you're not, you're not getting on, like, I would rather have more people in that position than fewer. Um, if I'm trying to figure out how to fix that, you know, what do people need to get it past that point? So, so that's, that's my rationale. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sounds plausible. 
I guess the thing I like about the charging is that the danger I feel like is, yep, we totally agree this is a problem. Yeah, we're not going to fix it. You know, like I think there's a lot of problems like that in the business world where it's like people, everyone like gets all excited about, yeah, this is, this is garbage. I hate this. You're right. And then you're like, great. I made a thing to fix it. And we're like, oh, well, yeah, but I actually have other things to do. It's actually kind of fine. And like, you're right, but like, eh. And so like getting people to like, getting a, a little fur, like further on where it's like, is this a, is this a business problem that businesses will pay money to solve? It, it's maybe just that it's just, it's just not. And so charging people helps you, like gets you a little bit further or like a, a, a more stark answer, I guess. I guess it speeds up, speeds up the process. Cause I feel like if, if this cohort makes it through 30 days, you know, all the trials have expired and I can look at the numbers from that, that will get me the same information. Like if nobody converts, you know, and they've been given, I've given them even more opportunity, you know, dropped the barriers to make their best run at getting onboarded under the product. And by the end of 30 days, if they're not onboarded, I feel like I have the same information as if I had chopped off a chunk of people or disqualified a chunk of people because they didn't have a card to put on file. It's just a restricted data set and, and accelerating getting that information, you know? Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm sort of my, my bias is optimizing towards like learn it faster, I guess, but it's, but you're right that you probably will, you probably learn a little bit like having more data points is good here too. Yeah. And I feel like you're saying this is a, maybe this is a, a distinction to draw between like, say for example, tuple and level where like tuple is a pretty well understood like problem. Will this tool actually succeed at facilitating remote pair programming? And as long as it does what's written on the tin, like it's it's a well understood problem. And so I feel like the the understanding of like what this thing does before people put their hands on it is pretty high. And so I feel like to ask someone to just say like, no, 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 we're we're serious. We're actually doing this thing that you already understand <laughs> and pay me money for it. Like that feels like a much more feasible ask than me saying like Oh no, I'm asking you basically to consider switching off of the the tool that runs all of your team communication with this interesting new take on <laughs> less distractive stuff. And people are like, cool, really interested to look at it. I really, I'm curious to see how you've approached it. Like that's the kind of feedback I get. I don't know how often you hear like, I'm curious to hear how you've approached this pair programming tool. Like I'm sure there's some, but, but not a whole lot of like curiosity around your novel approach. And so... Because of that, there's there's inherent skepticism in people who are interested in level. And I think a big way to mitigate that is by letting people try it. So so that's my that's my hypothesis, at least for now. <laughs> okay. So is your plan to try to get more data and then invite another cohort in and see what happens? Yeah, so I actually fired off another warm-up email to another 500 today. So, so I will be repeating and refining a, a bit kind of the, the automated emails and and just a few of the details that i feel like could have been better and gather more data cool sounds good yeah well well should we wrap it yeah let's wrap it uh show notes show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com awesome thanks for listening see ya bye